positive for HIV. Coming up on Outcast UK. What they do an advert like that for diabetes? Do you remember when you were told you got diabetes? They wouldn't do it. The last thing we need to do at the moment is add any shock value to HIV because as we've discussed, the media are already doing that for us. This whole thing, this whole article from beginning <laughs> to end, not a single bit of it is true. So Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Outcast UK. This is Outcast UK. Um, a special episode this week, of course, it being World AIDS Day on Friday, December the 1st. We're catching up with those legends from the HIV podcast, uh, the bosses of Thames Valley Positive Support, um, Jess Harding and Sarah McAdam. Uh, Jess and Sarah will be joining me uh, to talk through some of the interesting HIV-related news stories that have been recently. We'll be chatting about that in just a sec. First, though, here's Kev McGrath from Pride Daily. Hi there, it's Pride Daily. Here's a bite-sized guide to the Red Ribbon. So, a group of LGBTQ plus artists got together in New York back in 1988 and set up the Visual AIDS Collective. Their aim was to record the impact of AIDS and push for action. Then in 1991, some of the artists wanted a symbol to show support and compassion for people living with HIV, and the Ribbon Project was born. They took inspiration from the yellow ribbons tied around trees that honoured US soldiers who'd been serving in the Gulf War. Red was the chosen colour, though, for its connection to blood, the heart and love. Mark Heppel's one of those artists. He tells people he wanted something that could open a dialogue about HIV and AIDS. It is something that a mother could wear on her dress or the lapel of her blouse. Maybe one of her friends would say, what is that red ribbon? So it would start a conversation everywhere, somewhere, whoever was wearing it could say, this is what this is, and would you wear one? Having settled on a symbol, the next step was to get it out there. The artists targeted the Tony Awards that honour Broadway's best productions and performers. They sent hundreds of red ribbons to the organisers, along with a letter asking if the nominees could wear them. And so they did. Among the first were Jeremy Irons and Glenn Close. Since then, they've been seen at all the big awards dues. From there, the ribbons were visible across popular culture and regular folk, the little people like you and me, we were wearing them as well. In 1992, more than 100,000 were handed out at the Freddie Mercury AIDS Awareness Concert at Wembley. The New York Times declared it the year of the ribbon and in a matter of months, the symbol was recognised around the world. I'm Kev McGrath. This is the UK's hottest LGBTQ plus podcast. Outspoken. Outrageous. Outcast UK. It's a special Outcast UK. Joining me, Jess and Sarah from the HIV podcast. How are you being? Are you good? We're good. We <laughs> always do this. You're looking, you go, who are you talking to? Yeah. You come as a pair. We, <laughs> we, we do this always constantly. do this. And then yeah. we both speak at the same time and then it becomes really awkward. <laughs> I'm yeah. good. I'm also good. And I'm <laughs> going to apologise in advance for the chaos, like Sarah said, where yep. we tend to just pause and then talk over each other. That's fine. Right, you sent me something in the post at my new place. And uh, is this safe to unbox here now? Yes, it no? is. Oh, okay. uh, please unbox. Is this, is this condoms or is it tea? No. <laughs> what a choice. I've never had heard that before. Condoms or tea? Okay, so there's tea there. I'll, I'll have that later. Um, a lovely HIV podcast um, cup thing, whatever it's called. Um, a poster, right? right. <laughs> to put the tea on. And I've got, we have in a, a little red box here that's wrapped. What's in this? You look worried, Jess. 
oh, I'm not worried. I'm just, I'm waiting for you to see the whole picture and put it all together. I see. Oh, it's very well wrapped. Someone's very good at knots here. Um, there we go. I feel like you're going to propose to me. There's more to it. There's another layer. <laughs> <laughs> and in it we have, is this chocolate? Yeah. Oh, aren't you lovely? There we go. What? what? Explain to me. Explain to people who are listening right now what we've got here in the box. Go on, Jess. So they are three stunning hand-designed and hand-crafted chocolates with a red ribbon that's also edible, by the way. Right, okay. Um, on there and they were actually made and designed and donated to us by mark tilling of the chocolate academy okay so a massive thank you to him oh that's so kind of you thank you chocolate academy mark tilling lovely stuff we have a format to the show now it used to just be chaos and just me having to do loads of work nowadays it's kind of like we all come with um, a couple of stories i'm happy to go first yes yes you, you go first uh right okay so on the 15th of December, there was an article that was put out in the Daily Mail. For people who might have heard our podcast before, they'll know how much we really dislike the media just for how they portray HIV. And it's like, anyway, this is no different. So they ran with the headline, shop staff have HIV after being attacked with infected needles. So the whole article was actually this really big article about something important that was about the surge in shoplifting um, and the violence that a lot of shop workers are enduring because, you know, issues with policing, just, you know, cost of living crisis, everything. And it's like, so what, what, why is this the headline? What, why is this about HIV? I'm confused. And Richard Walker, who's the executive chairman of Iceland, said, this is a quote, said, three of our store colleagues are now HIV positive as a result of needle attacks several years ago. The Daily Mail followed this up with, the idea of victims being infected with HIV after being attacked with infected needles has long been a dark urban myth. But Mr Walker's comments show this has now become a reality. Yeah, this is total scaremongering, isn't it, completely? Mm, I mean, this is yeah. not a thing you really hear about very often. Can I just say, this? I actually opened the article this morning, and it says, since this article was first published, Iceland have clarified that they provided information to Mail Online in error regarding staff being infected with HIV, and the article has been revised accordingly. So weeks after they published it, they've then undone everything because they've realised that they can't find a single case of anyone being infected with HIV through a sort of shoplifting attack. And this kind of just says everything, doesn't it? about the way people really view HIV. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, I was going to mention, you know, they did revise it and Richard Walker, I think, went and did some HIV education with THT, I think it was. That's all great, but it's a bit like, you know, what is it, shutting the stable door after the horse yeah. is bolted? It's like, why are we still sensationalising HIV with these shocking headlines and scaring people? Mm -hmm. The damage is already done. Mm, mm, exactly. I mean, this is this is from the same sort of school of thought as that shopkeeper given AIDS. It's one of them kind of things, which is yeah. which is not really the, the way we're doing things now, isn't it? And I, what I do hope is that the mail, I hope that they put this on the front page of the newspaper or in exactly the same place that they were running the story, which is always the way, isn't it? Kind of like buried away on page 15 or something like that. Like <laughs> yeah. little Tiny little paragraph yeah. that nobody's going to read. Yeah. yeah, completely. And so do you find um, that stories like this have an effect on sort of um, sort of questions and, and interaction that you're having with service users, this kind of coverage? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it ramps up the stigma that they already experience. Um, and it's in a national newspaper. And I think the most frustrating thing for all our service users and for us is that it's just not true. There wasn't a word of truth in any of it. And yet he set us back years in terms of stigma. All the good work that 
that we do, that other HIV charities do, that you know people who campaign about HIV do, is set back by that one headline. Um, and it's all lies. It's so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that's a lie about this is the idea that um, shoplifting has have gone up to like unprecedented levels. Well, it has compared to 2020, but they're back to 2019 levels. So this whole thing, this whole article from beginning to end, not a single bit of it is true. So, Amazing. Don't, Amazing. Don't trust the Daily Mail or the tabloid press for your education at all when it comes to HIV or indeed anything that's going on in the world. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, any kind no of No way. But how do they get away with it? How do they just print lies? I mean, we could all do that. Let's start a, a newspaper between the three of us and just Lies. fill it with fun facts that aren't <laughs> true. <laughs> well, I feel like that's what tabloid papers are, aren't they? They're just kind of yeah. untrue fun facts, would I yes. like you style. I know. Well, let's do it. Yes. That's a, an idea for the new year for the three of us. We get a number one rated podcast overnight if we just come on and did lies every day and just dress yes. the news. Let's do that. Let's do that, honestly. Um, I'm going to pick up on uh, another story um, that I've seen um, because obviously the, the theme this week is, of course, um, HIV, uh, with it being uh, World AIDS Day on um, December the 1st, um, a day every year that for me is always really poignant thinking of um, friends and people I've been really close to um, that are HIV positive and, and you know, my knowledge of the fact that nowadays it's mainly the stigma that causes huge problems and it's the mental health effects of HIV that I, I, I in particular encounter all the time. Do you remember a few years ago, uh, gay and bisexual men were, it'd been going on since the 1980s, were not allowed to donate blood, were they? Yeah, no, I would have said from at least the mid 80s, mm -hmm. if not earlier. They were quite hot on it. And well, I mean, from when the AIDS epidemic started in the UK, gay men have been stigmatised. Mm -hmm. So I would have thought from quite early on, mm -hmm you know, they wouldn't accept donated blood from them. So apparently there's been no impact on safety whatsoever since the UK rules were changed to allow gay and bisexual men to donate blood. And this is an NHS report um, that monitors these kind of things. And they said they changed the rules in uh, 2021. Absolutely no changes whatsoever. Um, the the amount of HIV has, has not gone up um, at all. Um, what is the current set of like rules around this kind of thing? I imagine that you hear, you must hear plenty of um, plenty of people still come to you thinking that they can't like donate blood, for example. Yeah. So I don't think the rules go far enough. Mm -hmm. You know, we have opinions. I feel like we always have opinions. So um, currently, so I think it was from 2020, um, December 2020, I think it was, it was um, any men who have sex with men, this is quoting sort of how they put it, mm. um, and who are in monogamous long-term relationships or have been with their sexual partner for more than three months can donate blood. So that's the caveat. A, what about people on PrEP? But B, I'm sorry, but it, no one needs to tell the truth. Like we see people all the time who, you know, identify as other things that they are. For example, you know, we might see a married man who identifies as straight, but we know that he's cruising every weekend. But you could he could still walk in and go and donate blood and go, yeah, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm straight. I'm a straight man, guys. And you're like, so this sort of relies on people. I don't know. It's just bonkers, isn't it? I just think it's it, it's still it's great that, you know, people can give blood, but I just don't think this goes far enough. 
It's you know, relying on really highly stigmatized people telling the truth when they're put under lots of pressure, isn't it? If for me, it's a bit like, you know, the, the age old question that a lot of gay men used to ask each other, like, are you clean? It's like, well, mm. your option is to say, no, I'm, I'm dirty. You know, what's the, what, what, what kind of answer are you hoping to get from someone by pushing them into a corner? You're never going to get a, a 100% truth rate because people panic and go, oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm fine, don't they? And I feel like so much pressure is put onto people with HIV to kind of like, self-identify in situations where when they do self-identify, they're going to be opened up immediately to just a raft of like people's prejudices acted out on them, aren't they really? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's awful. I really do. It's very divisive, isn't it? Mm. You're almost implying that if you're heterosexual, you're not at risk of contracting HIV. You Mm. know, you just go give blood. No one's going to care about your sex life. Mm. But if you admit to being in a same-sex relationship or if you admit to sleeping with more than one man, then you're targeted. And I just don't see the point. Mm, mm, exactly, yeah. I almost feel like it, it It relates to me to a lot of, you must have seen this, um, the messages that people would get on dating apps like Grindr and, and that sort of thing when they say, oh yeah, by the way, there's something you should know and then people's reactions. And I feel like, the, again, it's all about the amount of pressure placed on people who are HIV positive to do that self-identifying, to do the thing that has been termed the good thing to do. And in reality, it's just so much more complex than that. And yet a lot of people don't seem to see how difficult it is and what you're doing to someone. And at the end of the day, you need, if, you, if you want to be sure on something, whether it's the NHS or whether it's someone in, about to enter a sexual encounter, the only way to be 100% sure is to think about you, really, isn't it? And your, this is what we've, we've said this many times, haven't we, on our podcast. Everybody needs to take responsibility for their own sexual health. Mm-hmm. You know, we take responsibility for lots of other areas of our life and sexual health is no different. Mm-hmm. But what we do instead is we have this kind of blame game where we blame everybody else and expect them to take responsibility. Um, and it's just its just not the way that you should live in an adult world. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, look, I'm starting to get on a soapbox. I know, look, and I was there with you like that. <laughs> Shaking my head, I agree, Sarah. Yeah. Welcome. We welcome the soapbox. Never good soapbox. <sighs> um, what, else, um, what else have we got? Oh, we can, should we do Madonna? Let's yeah. do Madonna, I love Madonna. Oh, I love Madonna too. I Did you her. see her in concert? I, I haven't seen her recently in concert. I seen her twice on a tour in 2012. Oh, you're so lucky. It, I saw her, one of them was in Milan. Um, she, oh. she turned up two and a half hours late to the concert. Everyone was, well, everyone was fine with it because Italians aren't really brilliant on timekeeping, I find. So they were yeah. Like, oh, yeah, fine. It's fine. Yeah, but when she played in Hyde Park a few weeks later, she tried to turn up an hour late and then they had to end the concert an hour early because the residents around Hyde Park don't want the noise built like 9 p.m., do they? So she cut like, yeah, it was a very different response to Madonna's timekeeping. Oh, bless. When she did come out in Hyde Park, did everyone just tuck? What, what's going on on the tour? She's um, she's shown some support for um, people with HIV, hasn't she, on the tour? She has, yes. So she's on her celebration tour at the moment. And during the concert, she pays homage to the HIV community by showing the faces of those that we've lost to HIV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very, oh, it's so poignant. And I found it quite upsetting. It's very, very moving. So she's singing Live to Tell. She's been lifted into the air in a Perspex box. Of course, why wouldn't you be? And as she starts singing the song, images come up of people that we've lost to AIDS. So it starts with Martin Burgoyne, who was her housemate, um, who she was very, very close to. Uh, Christopher Flynn, who was her first dance teacher. Um, Keith Haring, 
comes up and then more and more people come up on on the screen uh, some of them famous Freddie Mercury but some of them not ordinary everyday people and by the end of the song there are images everywhere thousands and thousands of them and it really makes you realize the impact that AIDS had in the 80s and although I mean I love Madonna um, and she's a huge supporter of the LGBT community but she's also a huge supporter of the HIV community and we don't hear about the work that she does as much as we do um, perhaps it's associated with other famous people more for Elton John for example or Elizabeth Taylor or Annie Lennox Whereas Madonna tends to do things in a much more discreet way. Um, but I think because they're discreet, they have perhaps a little bit more impact with the people that she's trying to support. And it's just ramped up my love for her to a gazillion percent. To a new degree, hasn't it? In, in fact, we're going to do a whole episode on Madonna, aren't we? So that's... I'm thinking of doing a whole podcast. I'm just <laughs> thinking we dedicate our... <laughs> that's it now. We're just doing Madonna each week. I, there, there is already one that exists. So I feel like if what? they're listening, we're just joking. Not trying to steal your podcast idea. I bet there's more than one. I bet there's oh. one Madonna podcast. There's got to be. <laughs> oh, God, oh. I thought it was being so original. I thought, okay. You know when they do... It, it doesn't matter what format it takes. When I see those sort of things where we're showing the faces of the people who came before us and what they must have gone through in the 1980s, just thinking about that, I find really upsetting. You know, um, at my age, by 2003, antiretroviral therapy was kind of coming into its own, wasn't it? And it was becoming a sort of thing that wasn't as frightening, but for those people who came just like a few, if I'd have been born a few years before I am now, it would have been a totally different story, you know, and, and, and hearing about people who were just a lot of the time, just young men usually that did the usual step of kind of like in their early twenties, like I did, of course, like moving to London, stepping into something that they didn't thoroughly understand and becoming a kind of footnote in history and, and them losing their lives as a result of it. I find it really upsetting. And I think it's, it's, it's important to remember what, you know, they went through as a generation. And that actually a, a generation of young queer men was just wiped out, weren't they? Yes. Really? Yeah. And that's what you can see when all these images come up, come up. It's, it's so moving, probably the most moved I've ever been because it's so visual. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, fair play to her for doing that and raising the profile of HIV in the way that she does. I think she's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there was another thing you wanted to talk about, and this is um, an advert in Scotland um, that people are talking about. And I feel like I'm one of the only people who hasn't seen this. So what I'm going to do now live is um, <laughs> I'm going to watch it on my phone. You'll be able to hear the audio. And um, we'll we'll feedback. So I'm going to play you the thing now, and um, let us know what your thoughts are. And I'll, I'll let you know my immediate hot take. Thanks for coming in. We've had your results back, and you've tested positive for HIV. Now that might come as a shock, but living with HIV is not what people think. One pill a day means that it cannot be passed on, and you can live a healthy, happy life, just like anyone else. So, Dad, I, w I was at the, the doctor's yesterday. Now, is there anything I need to know before we begin? Getting some, um, some results. Just the usual, please. 
just need to pop another pair of these on just to be on the safe side. We're getting back positive. I know. Hmm. What? Tell us. Tell us your instant thoughts and feelings. Okay. So the worst thing, the worst thing with HIV is being told that you're HIV positive. There is no, no one can, no one can prepare you for for that. And then there's those immediate reactions from people who who mean well, but they're. But what they're doing is really damaging. Um, I feel like I can see what they're trying to, to do with that advert, but um, I don't know if I should be watching it and, and having the emotional reaction that I'm having to that now. I don't know if that's what they were really after. I think what it, it would help if um, if they took took it and then and then sort of explained to people, you know, the old diabetes comparison just to kind of, cause we're not in that stage right now. That was quite a traumatic thing for me to, like I had to hold it together a bit more because we're recording this there, you know? So what about you? What did you think about it? I think, so I think maybe to highlight, so like you, we completely understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously stigma is still a massive deal. We know that it's, you know, it stigma's a killer. People have said this, it prevents people from testing. It prevents people from accessing care. Stigma kills, but what we have to sort of acknowledge is that while that highlights stigma, it doesn't highlight any positives or any sort of, would that encourage me to test? I don't know that it would. Um, within the advert, I don't know if you remember, because as obviously it's, it is quite a lot to take in, isn't it? But there's a part where it said um, at the beginning, you can live a healthy, happy life just like anyone else. And I feel like we all miss that bit because I don't think it does highlight that you can live this happy, healthy life. It shows people being highly stigmatized, but there are no sort of counteracting things like the dad, you know, at the end, hugging her. There's no, there's nothing to counteract it. And also you're taking someone on a dating app and all of the messages coming up with just because people can say what they like because you don't know who they are, can't they? So it's, so the film was, uh, so the campaign was developed in partnership with THT, NHS, Greater Glasgow and Clyde, Public Health Scotland, University of Strathclyde, Waverley Care, Our Positive Voice and the Scottish Drugs Forum. Um, and, so it was done by, basically they did it because there was a commitment by um, public health, by the Scottish government to do a campaign around stigma because they had done a YouGov um, survey and the research found that almost half of the people in Scotland would be ashamed to tell someone that they were positive. Mm-hmm. But, but to me, does that advert counteract that? Do not, would it encourage mm-hmm. more people to be open about their diagnosis? No, it looks like your life's ruined, doesn't it? Yes. It captures that really well as a drama. If that was a drama on TV, I'd be like, that's Griffin, I'm going to watch this. But it wouldn't make me just think, oh, I must go and uh, we need to normalise testing, don't we? It's kind of, oh, you get it done. You get the text message. Oh, I'm good for it. That's what we need to be doing, I think. Not not that. Yeah. No, we do. We absolutely do. And I don't think this advert hits the mark at all. If you think back to those adverts 40 years ago, you know, the Tombstone adverts and how chilling they were and they did scaremonger, I don't think... This I was so excited that, you know, 40 years later, finally, we've got an advert about HIV. And I just don't, I feel there were too many similarities between the original advert and the advert that we have I'm going to bring up now. Tombstone. Hang on. 
because I can. And I feel that there's there's similarities almost. It's called monolith, isn't it? This advert. Yeah, yeah. In the style of the voiceover. There is now a danger that has become a threat to us all. It is a deadly disease, and there is no known cure. Yeah. There's a similarity in the tone of them, isn't there? The um, kind of imagery, and you know that it's quite kind of. Um, it's not black and white, is it? But the colours are definitely toned down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that adds to the shock value. And the last thing we need to do at the moment is add any shock value to HIV because, as we've discussed, the media are already doing that for us. I just don't understand why everything to do with HIV has to be so serious. Yeah. And I think it also um, really errs on the fact that people have to have HIV knowledge already. Like we've talked about the fact it shows an, a medical professional double gloving, right, putting two pairs of gloves on. But at no point does it explain that that's wrong and that shouldn't happen. If I had no HIV knowledge, what if I was just like, oh yeah, okay, that's just what medical professionals should do. We're, we're almost relying on people to already have all of this HIV education to then watch this advert, to then not stigmatize. Whereas Sarah and I have talked about this so much, we have to educate everyone and we have to stop assuming that everyone's got the same level of HIV knowledge. We know that there are massive groups of people with very poor HIV knowledge for loads of reasons, but until we pull them along with us and we're all on the same level, then we can all move forward. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't, you know, why don't they explain that double gloving is wrong? That's really interesting. Two points I want to make on this. Would they do an advert like that for diabetes? Do you remember when you were told you got diabetes? They wouldn't do it, would they? It wouldn't, wouldn't be a thing. Another one is, I've had that experience of double gloving when I went to get my flu vaccine <laughs> in, a, in a pharmacist. This guy went, do you mind? And, I, and then I felt, well, I was, I was like, well, how do I respond to that? Mm. Not a nice experience oh, from a healthcare professional. It's still going on, double gloving. Another one I've seen uh, from Pink News, uh, the I Kissed a Boy star, Dan Harry, on taking part in an HIV vaccine trial with gratitude for previous generations. Kind of what we were touching on earlier on about the fact that you do have a gratitude for all them people that went before you and did the things and took the stick from people, you know, the, the stigma as well as the, the, the fear of death, you know, that them people, uh, it moves me to tears thinking about them. Anyway, good to see him kind of going, right, given, you know, some gratitude for previous generations. But interesting to see an HIV vaccine. Now, where do we where do we stand on this? The potential for a vaccine, the chances of eliminating HIV through a vaccine. Do we think Sarah, I'll, I'll ask you this. What 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 do you think in terms of this? I think there's definitely the potential to eliminate HIV um, or to come up with a vaccine to stop you from contracting it. Um, and the reason I say that is because look at how we've managed COVID uh, and the vaccine that we've got for that. And COVID and HIV in terms of viruses, they're not that dissimilar. Um, you know, all viruses kind of evolve and and kind of change. Um, and HIV doesn't say does COVID. So if we can do it for COVID, we can do it for HIV. I believe we can, definitely. I think the difference is that COVID had an awful lot of money thrown at it and HIV research doesn't. But to know that he is taking part in a clinical trial, they're not using the live um, HIV antibodies. It's They've made up or ge- genetically made up an HIV antibody. So if it doesn't work, he won't be infected with HIV. Um, but the reasons why he's doing this and him sharing it on his social media platforms, I think is fantastic. 
I think it could be really useful in terms of, say, sort of in the initial stages before it was massive and everyone got vaccinated. It could be really good for people who struggle with accessing PrEP. You know, we know that a lot of women do because we basically have to, you know, fight our corner and explain exactly every reason why we think we're at risk. So perhaps this is something where you're not having to do that. You're just going in and saying, I want the vaccine. So perhaps that will replace that for some people who struggle with with accessing PrEP. I think one of the reasons that COVID got obviously pushed through was that the whole world was just focused on on just that singular issue for a time and there was no kind of stigma attached to getting COVID was it well I don't know maybe there was a little bit but not like HIV and I feel like people with HIV are put right at the bottom rung of society in people's heads and it's how much resources will you allocate to people who whether you realize you do or not your view has been on the bottom rung of society um and in you know the global south in particular will the effort be put in for them and and my fear is that, that no it won't actually what about the idea of eliminating HIV by 2030? How high do you want my soapbox to be? Come on, let's get this Is it about as likely as us going net zero by 2030? Is it, are they both in the same list of nice-to-haves? Yes, yes, it would be. It would be lovely to think that we could achieve that goal um, and eliminate it. And it's not just a UK goal, it's a worldwide goal. Um, and the UK uh, wants to be one of the first countries to reach it. I would say, certainly in Berkshire, not going to happen. And there are so many challenges to uh, meeting what the government wants us to achieve. I mean, we've been through on one of our podcast episodes, the aims of um, the 2030 Agenda, and we've picked apart why we cannot achieve those aims. And unsurprisingly, one of the main reasons is lack of funding. I mean, if you want us to find the most hidden people in society, the most at-risk people in society, fund us to do it because that takes legwork. And we're very prepared to step up, but we don't work for free. Nobody does. Um, And I think that's probably the case across the country. Uh, And the government have been very quiet, actually, haven't they? They, They're due to review this in uh, 2025. I'd be very interested to see uh, who is kind of close to achieving what Mm. they want us to achieve. 2025 handily after a general election so that the Tories don't have to be seen to be doing anything for this kind of thing in the run up to the general election. But that's that's a good point because if we have a different government, then they might not take this aim forward at all. Mm. Um, And they have put some money into it. It's unfair to say they haven't, but it's a tiny, minuscule amount. Do you think the Um, Labour government would? Well, Labour have always been more supportive of um, not just HIV, um, anybody who is experiencing kind of any disadvantage. So we used to have something called the Aid Support Grant when uh, Labour was in power. And that grant was specifically to support people living with HIV. And some local authorities used it in quite uh, imaginative ways and diverted off all over the place. But it meant that HIV charities like ours had a much easier job securing funding because we could say, we know you've got this grant and we'd like X amount to support people with HIV. When we had that grant, we had less people with mental health issues. We had less homeless people. We had less people who weren't adhering to their medication. Now, we have, it's a very different story. And that's, I acknowledge it's not just because of us, other services have been affected too, but you cannot ask HIV charities to help achieve the aim of zero HIV transmission by 2030 when you have got so many other factors in play at the moment, the cost of living crisis, Mm -hmm. the 
problems with social housing, people being taken off benefits. It's just, yeah. it's totally unachievable, in when my opinion. It, when did it go then, this grant? Was it in about, was it in about 20? Uh, the day the Conservatives came into power. Wow. <laughs> it's one of the first grants to be cut. So I have been told. Wow. I'm happy to be corrected on that. Another reason not to vote Conservative. Good work, Graham. Yes. <laughs> But obviously, these are the opinions of just Sarah and I personally and not our charity. Of course, yeah. But these, are, I, I'm happy to say these are my personal yes. opinions and the opinions of this podcast. That yeah. I, oh, good. Yes, we like this. No, these are our personal yes. opinions too. Good. Um, right. So um, for anybody who's loved this chat, do you want to let them know um, where they can hear your podcast? And Oh, by the way, well done on getting that award the, um, the other week. Did you get it? You came second, something like that. No, we, no, we were shortlisted. We didn't win, but, you know... It was pretty amazing to be nominated. Did you enter the British Podcast Awards this year? Yes. Yeah, I did. And then got nowhere this year. I was like, no. Mm-hmm. But no. It, cost, it cost me personally so much money to enter the British Podcast Awards that I had nothing left over to enter other awards. I spent 500 quid on entries. I actually <gasps> judged entries. And then afterwards they were like, no, we've not got enough tickets for you. We judged it as well. And yeah. then they, they were like, oh, it's however much for the tickets. And we were like, Oh, that's what I okay. Oh, God, I'm glad it wasn't just me. No, <laughs> I was no. personally, did you put loads of time into doing it? And then it was like, yeah, cheers, here's 5%. Oh, sorry, we've, got, we've not got enough tickets. I just thought, wow, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, but the independent podcast was, just so you know, for next time, they've done it literally for all these reasons because mm-hmm. we're just priced out, aren't we? So it's yeah. £25 to enter and then £5 for every other category you enter. Oh, right, that's good. I wish I'd known that. I wish I'd known yeah. that. Well done, on the, um, well done on that. That looked great. And it's nice to see those kind of award ceremonies and if anybody wants to listen to the show the HIV podcast is available wherever you get your podcast would you be interested in coming on again soon surely you will will you have you come to it obviously I'm basically yes. forcing yeah. you into it now shame yeah. only no, if we'd more ranting to. we want more ranting more, rant. yes. more soapbox and yeah. we'll bring the soapboxes but we'll put them in, in person in the studio and we'll do that <laughs> um, when we're next able to, probably early next year thanks very much for joining me today it's appreciated thank you thank you play outcast uk on tiktok and instagram just search play outcast uk